God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to begin talking about prayer and fasting this morning. And I'm going to read to you several passages of Scripture. Um, Fasting is one of those things that for some people it's totally foreign because they've never done it. It's something like super holy people do, priests maybe, monks off in some Tibetan monastery, something like that, you know, but for for a lot of Christians, fasting is like what? Especially American Christians, it's like we don't fast, we feast. That's what we do. We feast. We know how to feast. We don't know how to fast very well. And feasting is more fun than fasting. As a matter of fact, if you're looking to have fun, fasting's probably not the thing for it. We don't do fasting for fun. We do fasting because it's effective. We do fasting because it's good for us. Um, here's one thing I know about God is he doesn't tell us to do anything that is purposeless. He doesn't tell us to do anything that doesn't have a benefit. So if, if we find in Scripture instruction that we should be fasting, uh, through, and we should be devoting time to God through fasting and prayer, then we know that it's for our benefit, right? It's not for God. In other words, God doesn't get, any, God doesn't get some special thing out of your fasting um, that he doesn't get you know, through regular prayer by watching you suffer and you know, get hungry and get the, uh, you know, the shakes when you get hungry and, act, and acting weird. How many of you get hangry? You know what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm one of those. I fall guilty to that. Like, forgive me for what I said when I was hungry, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it, it's not like God just gets this pleasure out of watching you suffer. If suffering, if God's asking us to suffer, because that's really what fasting is in a way. It's a mild form of suffering. For some, it's more than mild because we're so used to not fasting. Um, but if, if, if God's asking us to do that, it's not because he finds pleasure in watching us suffer. How many of you ever ask your kids to do things that are hard because you know it's good for them? Hopefully you do. That's what good parents do, right? And matter of fact, some of the problems we have in the current generation may be because there's not enough of that. We only are, you know, we're like the helicopter parents that are protecting every little path and every little step that they take. But actually, no, there are some things that are very good for us that are also hard for us and hard on us. Fasting is one of those things. If God asks us to fast, it's because he knows it's going to produce something in you that can't be produced any other way. Why do you think Jesus fasted? Jesus, Jesus was the son of God, yet he fasted. And he, it wasn't purposeless. Apparently, he needed it for what he was going to do, for what his call was. So, I'm a strong believer in fasting, not just because the Bible tells me, but because we've been doing it for years, and I always get tremendous results out of it. Let's look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. God's talking to the children of Israel, and he says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your father. So there again, as we talked about in the offering, this is, the, this is verses earlier than the one we read in the offering. You see that God's intention for his people is good. His plans are good. His plan was not to bring them into the wilderness and them rebel and sin and turn against him and never make it to the promised land because there was a whole generation that didn't make it to the promised land. That wasn't God's plan. This is what he told them. The whole commandment I command you today, you shall be careful to do it. Why? For your own good. God gave instruction. God gave the law. He gave instructions for them to obey. For his good? No. For their good. 
He knows that by being careful to do what I've told you to do, your life will turn out well. Your life will be a success. You will prosper and you will be, you will be blessed. Some people have a wrong mindset about the laws of God. They think that when God says, you know, don't do this, don't do that, that he's like a mean, really old, grumpy God, you know, that just likes to tell people really hard things to do. Actually, everything he ever told humanity to do is for their own good. If God says such and such is a sin, and the world can't understand it, and they get all fit in, a, in a fit about it, they don't understand it, it's just that you, don't under, you haven't seen the full consequences yet. But God knows where this leads. He knows where it is. Why? Because he created society. He created man. He created woman. He created culture. So he knows how it works best because he made it. So when he tells them, he said, listen, the whole commandment that I have given you today, I want you to be very careful to do it. That means meticulous. It means paying very attention. Don't sweep over anything. Make sure you're doing it exactly as I told you to do. Why? So that it will all go well with you. That's why. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your father. So this is the plan. But watch this in verse 2. And you shall remember the, <clears throat> you shall remember the, whole, the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you. Testing you. To know what was in your heart, that's so that they would know what is in their heart, not God. God already knows what's in their heart, but they don't know it yet. You ever tried to deal with somebody that you can see something about them that they can't see in their, their own self? Like, you ever, you ever worked with somebody, maybe one of your children's or just a friend or family member, and like, well, here's why I'm doing that. And you're looking and you're going, that ain't why you're doing that. There's another reason why you're doing that. And I think you've convinced yourself that this is the reason why you're doing that. But that ain't the reason why you're doing that. Because why? They don't know what's in their own heart. Well, God's an expert at that. Nothing ever slips past God. There's no motive that has ever been that God didn't know. He knows every motive. He knows every, thought, every reason why we do things. So God's not testing them so that he can know what's in their heart. He already knows what's in their heart. But look what he says. You went through the wilderness these 40 years that he, Moses is telling them, that God might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. In other words, whether you would learn obedience. Verse 3, and he humbled you, and he let you hunger and fed you with manna. You see, all these things, when people hear these things, they go, well, this is a mean God. But that's kind of like children looking at their parents. You make me clean my room. You make me go to bed on time. You know, they're aggravated because their parents are making them do things that are good for them. They don't understand it. When you read this, it may not sound like it's for your own good, but it's for your own good. It's actually for your benefit. But he says, you went through the wilderness for 40 years that you might be humbled, number one. That you might be tested, number two. That what was in your heart would be revealed. We would find out whether or not you were going to keep God's commandments or not. Why? Because if you're not going to keep his commandments, why bring you into the promised land? I already had people living in the promised land that weren't keeping my commandments. I, I moved them out so I could move you in. So if I'm just going to move in another group of people that aren't going to follow my commandments, what's the point? So I want to know now. I want to know here in the wilderness. I want to know, you're going to follow my commands or not? And then they were tested in that area. They were 
tested. How are you tested to follow commands, whether you're going to follow commands or not? Well, you get instruction and you get commands that you don't completely understand. You don't quite get the full picture. Somebody just tells you, do this, but you don't get an explanation. Why? Because I don't want you to obey because you understand. I want you to obey because you're submitted to me completely and fully. So they would get commands. They would get instructions. Do this. Don't do this. Camp here. Do it this way. Things that didn't make sense with no explanation. Why? I'm teaching you something. I'm teaching you submission. I'm teaching you how to obey, how to listen when you don't understand. Do you follow God only when you understand and, and you get the full explanation? Or do you follow God when you don't understand and you don't get any explanation, but you just trust him that much? These are all the things that were being determined. So he said, whether you would keep his commands or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna. Now, when it says he let you hunger, they did receive manna every day. You know the story. And manna sounds amazing. The Bible says it was like a little, almost like a little honey wafer, this crisp, kind of flaky. It sounds like a, what's it called? The pastry, what, I can't remember what it's called. But those little, the pastry flaky crust thing, kind, kind of sounded like that. Sounded delicious. But there's nothing that you could eat, breakfast, lunch, dinner, every day for 40 years that would taste good for 40 years. I mean, I really like ribeye steak. But after about a week, every single meal, when I heard the sizzling on the grill, I'd start to sweat bullets. I'm like, man, I don't know if I could shove down one more bite of that. So, yeah, that he did feed them, but it was manna, and it was every day. It was the same thing every day. Now, they weren't going to be there for 40 years. Keep that in mind. They brought that on themselves. It was going to be a period of time, though, that all this testing was happening. He humbled, he humbled you. And he let you hunger. See, God's not afraid of a little bit of suffering in our lives. And, and I know we don't like this, but God is not afraid of a little bit of suffering in, in our lives when it is for our own good. There are certain things in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in who you are that can't be worked out any other way. That's why I laugh when I see uh, parents trying to reason with their two-year-old. Like, you don't get it. You don't get it. Logic is not getting rid of this. I lost everybody, right? I lost a lot of people right there. But it's the truth. It's hilarious to watch and sad to watch a parent try to reason. Why? Because they need discipline. They need discipline, just like the Bible tells them they need discipline. There are certain things in our life that can't be worked out any other way. There are certain things that you can't pray away. God, I'm... I got this anger problem. I got this. I need patience. I'm praying. I'm praying. He's like, okay, you're praying. But the, the answer to that prayer is going to come in a form that you weren't expecting. Because when you were praying, what you were thinking was that God would like magically take his finger out of the heavens and just like touch you. And all of a sudden, all that anger was going to go away. That's not how that's going to happen. What's going to happen is he's going to put you in a situation where you are humbled. He's going to put you in a situation where you're humbled. And then that anger gets worked out in you through a process. And again, if we're good parents, we understand this. We understand how this process works. So it says, he humbled you and he let you hunger. Why? Because you needed it. You needed to hunger a little bit. And just keep in mind the whole time where he's taking them. All right, we're going to get down to verse 7 in a minute. Remember the one we read during the offering? 
about how they were going to have figs and pomegranates and vineyards and waters, and they would be full and never hunger again. You remember? That's coming, right? But he said something first. That's coming, but something first. There's something you need first. Otherwise, you won't appreciate that. You won't last in that. You'll squander that. You'll ruin that because you don't have the character and the humility yet to sustain that. So he said, I let you hunger. Why? Because God's mean? No, it's out of love. But you couldn't see it in the moment. You couldn't see it as love. Again, just think back to when you were a child and your parents disciplined you. You're mad, angry, spitting, crying, kicking. Worst parents. Some of you told them, I hate you. If I'd ever said that, I only said it once. I'd never said it again. I hate you. Why? Because you can't see. You can't see what your parents are doing. You don't understand it. Especially when you're young. So he says, he humbled you and he let you hunger. Good God, faithful God, loving God let you hunger. Why? Because you needed it. You needed something to be worked out in you. Now remember, we're talking about fasting. We're getting somewhere here. So he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna. In other words, just a bare necessity, just enough nutrition to survive. You weren't eating anymore for pleasure. You weren't eating anymore for feasting and fun and flavors and add this spice and, and, and cooking and all the smells and the family and the friends. We weren't eating like that anymore. We were eating for one purpose. It was for nutrition and survival, period. And he says it was through that process that you were humbled. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So he said, you didn't understand this yet. You didn't understand this principle that food is not the only thing that you need for survival. Because I didn't create man as strictly a fleshy, natural being. Actually, man, we've talked so much about this that I don't feel like I need to you know, re-explain it. But we've been talking about it in the fellowship series. Man is actually not strictly flesh. Man is first and foremost and mostly spirit. Why do I say mostly? Because the spirit is eternal. And the flesh is temporary. So yes, you live in a flesh body that needs bread and needs food, but the real part of you, the spirit part of you, is the eternal part of you that when your body dies, your spirit is going to still live. And so God is telling them, he said, there's a, there's a process that I want you to, it's going to help you understand that you're not strictly flesh. And he said that man does not live by bread alone. But that man lives by, oh man, this is, this is so important. He said, listen, man doesn't survive by food. Or he can't survive by food only. And in the same way that your body needs food to run and function, your spirit needs food also. So he said, I need you to understand this process. I want, I, I want you to get it. So I put you in the wilderness so you would get this fact that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, some of you, what you're experiencing in your, some of the things that you're experiencing in your life right now is a result 
of not having enough spiritual nutrition. And we know and understand really easily, as the Israelites did, we know and understand really easily what happens to your body when you don't get physical nutrition. If you go without food for a few days, you're going to start feeling the effects. If you, if you skip one meal, if you eat a certain type of food year after year after year, there's all kinds of health problems that come from it. We, we know this. We understand it. It's in our face. We get it. Some of us, you could tell immediately. Some of you really could tell it last week. Maybe Thanksgiving, Christmas. You eat something, and about 30 minutes later, we're all sitting on the couch like this. Oh, my goodness. I overdid it. I didn't need that third piece of pie. My goodness, I should have held off it too. It's like immediate, right? You, you eat, and then you experience the consequences. You experience the results. It's very, it's very quick. Matter of fact, we actually have a, a hormone in our body where if you haven't eaten in a couple hours and your stomach starts to growl, it starts to communicate, hey, I'm hungry. You hadn't fed me in a couple hours. You ever been somewhere and your stomach's growling, everybody around you can hear it? <laughs> kind of embarrassing. Feel like you got to make an excuse for it? Ah, oh, I skipped breakfast this morning, you know. <laughs> they know. They experience it too. But it's communicating, hey, I need you to do something. I've got a little problem down here. The spirit is not as instant. Now, the goal would be, and I believe it's the will of God, the goal would be for all of us that we are so dependent on spiritual nutrition that if we miss a meal, we do notice it immediately. Some of us, though, are so emaciated and we're so unhealthy spiritually and we've been, we've been in a state of spiritual starvation for so long that missing a day or two or a week of prayer, doesn't, we, don't, we can't tell the difference because we're already so spiritually starving that it feels the same. But you can get to a place where when you miss one meal, spiritually, you could tell the difference. Just like if you miss a natural meal. And this is what God was trying to get him to understand. He said, listen, you don't live by bread alone. In other words, you don't live by natural and fleshy inputs alone. You need spiritual inputs also. You could really replace this, uh, not just bread, but all the things that we do in the natural world to survive. Right? Man doesn't live by entertainment, food, you know, vacationing, relaxation, comfort. He doesn't live by those things. Those things feel nice. They serve the human body. The, they, they serve the, the human and fleshy side. But there's another side that gets neglected often, which is the spiritual side. And see, what we do in fasting is we, we flip that whole script. Whereas we are all so familiar with all the natural fleshy inputs of food, entertainment, comfort, pleasing the flesh in multiple ways, any way we can think of it, inventing new ways constantly to please the flesh. Okay, where that's the norm and the spirit gets very little attention, what fasting does is it flips the whole script. All of a sudden the flesh gets told no. No of none of the good food. None of of the entertainment that you're used to. None of staring at the screen on your phone for hours and days and on end. TV, iPads, all of that cut out. And the spiritual inputs get a boost. The spiritual inputs get a focus. And they get a, a revival and a rejuvenation. What do you think is going to happen when you flip that script? You're going to learn this principle right here more than you ever have before. Man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. 
See, a lot of the issues that are going on in our lives are a result of spiritual depletion. But because we don't understand that, we try to feed it with natural things. So it's, it's uh, hey, what, let's, go to the, let's go to the game tonight. Let's, let's get together with friends. Let's, hey, maybe we need to take a trip. Maybe we need to go to the beach. Maybe we could go to the lake. Hey, let's get the RV out. Let's go to the mountains. Let's do something. What are we after? We're after something that can't be obtained in the flesh. But we don't know any other way. So we're, we're feeling empty. We're feeling depleted. But we haven't understood that man shall not live by bread alone. We're feel, we know there's like a hunger, there's a, there's a depletion, there's something missing, but we don't know how to live by the Word of God. We don't know how to get the spiritual inputs in, and so we just keep turning to more natural things. And we go, man, maybe this will fill it, maybe this will fill it. Oh, just one more this, one more game, one more trip, you know, one more purchase this and buy this, go shop and get this, one more thing, and it never fills it. Why? Because man can't live by bread alone. Man cannot live by natural inputs alone. There's nothing wrong with those things. You understand that? He didn't say man doesn't live by bread at all. He just said he doesn't live by bread alone. And so for so many of us, the only thing we know is how to feed the human being natural, fleshy things. And we don't know anything about feeding our spirits. But let me tell you this. What, what this process shows you, what fasting shows you, is how little natural and fleshy input you really need. And when you, when you cut those things off and you turn them down and you, you dial them back and you turn up the, the spiritual heat, you turn up the, the time in the Word of God, the time in prayer, the time in worship, and when you would have picked up your phone and went through some mindless nothingness, instead you pick up your Bible or you get along with God, or you turn on the worship music, there's going to be a change that happens in your life, and you're going to feel better than you've ever felt before. And you go, well, I didn't know that it was connected to that exactly because you didn't realize what he was trying to get them to understand in the wilderness, that man will not live by bread alone. Man lives, actually man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, he needs spiritual food. And there's so many things in your life so many things in your life that you have tried to fill with other stuff that 21 days seeking God will solve that completely in your life. And I don't know how many times I learned this way early in the ministry, way long before we started pastoring this church, me and Jen saw this principle. You'd be feeling stressed. You'd be feeling burnt out. You'd be feeling overworked in the ministry and then doing all this stuff. And it's like, oh, my God, I need a vacation. And we'd plan some trip to Florida or something, and we'd get away. Before we were like, oh, this is going to just be amazing. We're going to just relax. And then you'd come back feeling worse than when you left. Because it was like you felt good while you were there. But then when you came back, it was all waiting, and it just hit you right between the eyes again. And you, it didn't really solve anything. So we learned. Long time ago, we learned we need a pre-vacation victory in our life so that the vacation can do what it was meant to do, and you're not depending on it to do something that it has no power to do. So we started preparing ourselves beforehand. I was like, look, if you're feeling stressed, you're feeling like you need a vacation, and you're wanting a vacation to solve it, ain't going to happen. It's going to make it worse. The vacation is going to make it worse because it has no power to do what you're depending on it to do. You're asking it to do something it can't do. So we started getting the victory beforehand. We'd start seeking God. 
getting rid of the stress, anxiety, relaxing in the presence of God, learning to trust God. Then when we'd go on a vacation, it would do what it was designed to do, and we'd be refreshed and we'd come back feeling good. Why? Because we weren't actually depending on it to do it. We depended on God, and then the vacation was just doing what it could do. You know, but we do that with a lot of things. We turn on Netflix, and we watch one episode. I was just going to watch one episode. Watch one episode, and then you still feel empty, and it ain't quite enough. Well, just maybe one more. That's where binge watching came from. <laughs> Why? Because you're trying to fill a black hole that can't ever be filled. Nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with entertainment. Okay, that's not the issue. But you do see the issue when you're trying to get it to do something that it can't do. When you're trying to get it to feel something that it can't feel. This is why people binge eat cartons of ice cream. They sit down and just, oh, it feels so good in the moment. And then you feel worse after. Why? It can't do what you're putting the pressure on it to do. Listen, this carries over into marriage. There's a lot of marriage problems because one spouse is, is pulling on and burdening on and expecting the other spouse to be something, do something. They, they're never going to be able to fulfill that hole in your life. Your spouse isn't the end-all answer for everything. Your spouse, sometimes we're like, well, I just am not happy in my marriage. Well, get your eyes on God. Let him be your source. And don't put all this pressure on this person to be something in your life that they probably are never going to be because they're human too. The best marriages are ones that God is each person's source and I find my fulfilled enjoyment, completeness, wholeness in God. And I actually don't need you for that. I need you in my life for multiple reasons, but God is who he needs to be in my life. So now when I come to you, I'm not expecting something from you that you can never give me. So many marriages are hurting because I'm disappointed in you and you don't do and you don't meet my expectations and you don't fulfill what I want you to fulfill. Yeah, because they're human beings and they're never going to be that. Just go get all that from God. (laughs) Be who you need to be with him. Get that fulfillment from him. And then how about you just love your spouse out of that love that you're getting from God? There's a lot of marriages that are in, a, in bad shape because of this. A lot of marriages in the first year or two especially, they struggle. They struggle because of unrealistic expectations that I wanted you to be this. I expected you to be this. Well, you were this way when, they, when we were dating. Yeah, but nobody can keep that up. You can only feed the black hole for so long until you run out of energy. And see, actually, I don't need another human being to be happy. Because, well, I'm just unhappy. Why? Because my marriage is bad. That's not a reason to be unhappy. I know that's not what we want to hear. If, if, if a bad marriage is making you unhappy, then that means you're not getting your happiness from God. I can get my happiness from God. I could be in a really bad natural situation and still have complete joy because of what I'm getting from God. I didn't say it was easy. But it can be done. Why? Because man does not live by bread alone. Man does not run on happiness from a spouse. Man does not run on Netflix. Man does not run on ice cream sandwiches. Man runs on the Word of God. And so much in of our, our life of unhappiness and unfulfillment and disappointment and feeling like we have no energy and no vision and no passion comes from we are not living off of the Word of God. 
and we are not being sustained spiritually as we should be. I learned this a long time ago, and the only reason I can explain it the way I can explain it is because I've walked through it many times in my life, where I was feeling one way, and I tried this, and I tried that, and I'm, well, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, and I learned so long ago, when I'm feeling this, I know exactly where to turn. When I'm feeling this way, I know exactly where to go to get the solution that I'm looking for. And then once I am healthy with God, I can take on this, that, or the other, any issue that's going on that would try to steal my joy. So God was teaching them all this. He said, man will not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Look at verse 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. And people think, man, what a miracle. How many of you want to wear the same pair of shoes and clothes for 40 years? I don't care whether they burn out or not. I mean, my wife has a pair of pajamas. I had to go burn. I'm like, I'm tired of seeing those things. You know, you just don't tell her I said that. She's back in the kids' church. She's done the same thing to me many times. I come home and my closet is practically empty. Where's all my stuff? It was ugly. I got rid of it. No, I mean, it is a miracle. Praise God, their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years and their shoes didn't wear out. What a miracle. Uh, but same thing with the manna. It sounds all well and fine until you've been wearing, especially ladies, y'all know how it is. You've been, you've been wearing the same thing for 40 years. What do you do if you put on a little weight? I mean, shoot. Man, this, this outfit's showing my fat roll. I got to get something else, you know. You don't have any more clothes. It's like, man, same thing for 40 years. So, yeah, it sounds good, but there's a, there's a humility that's happening in that, too. Listen, what God was saying is you needed nutrition to survive, so I gave you the bare minimum, and you, you ate it day after day, meal after meal, because I was teaching you something. Same thing with clothing. Yeah, you do need it, but you're not going to have a closet full uh, in, a, in a rack full of shoes and all this and that or the other to help your feelings. You're not going to have that. You're going to have one outfit. It's not going to wear out. You're going to wear it every single day. Man, was God just being mean? No, he was teaching them humility. Your clothing did not wear out on you. Your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord, your God, disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Praise God. So here's another element of this. God disciplines those whom he loves. The Bible tells us that in the book of Hebrews. They were under discipline. Manna, the clothing not wearing out, having to obey instruction without having any explanation. All of this was part of the discipline of the Lord. Why? Because he loved them. And see, this is why we discipline this is why we discipline our children. Actually, the Bible's very clear. You do not love your children if you don't discipline them. Don't buy that lie. Don't tell yourself that lie. That's not true. God said opposite. He said, actually, if a, if a man does not discipline his son, he hates his son. Because a, a person who disciplines their children is seeing something beyond the momentary pain. They're seeing something beyond. And out of love for you, whether it hurts me or not, whether you understand it or not, I'm seeing that this 
uh, flaw will hurt you down the road, and so I'm going to discipline you now. Parents go, oh, you know, they see something, they go, oh, well, that doesn't bother me. It ain't got nothing to do with it bothers you. It's going to bother their boss and their future spouse and everybody that's around them. So for their sake, because you love them, you discipline them. It ain't got nothing to do with you. It has to do with love for them. And this is what God was saying here. He said, I know you don't understand this. I, don't, I know you don't understand the wilderness. Why did I bring you out of slavery straight in the wilderness? Why didn't I bring you straight out of slavery into the promised land? Wouldn't that have been a much better reward after being in slavery for 400 years? To be brought straight out of slavery, straight into the promised land where you can relax? And he said, no, because that's a short-term solution. I'm seeing beyond that. And I know that you don't yet have the character or the training to steward that and live in that and sustain that. So if I bring you straight there without the discipline and the training, you're going to lose it all anyway. So I'm putting you in a place that's going to prepare you to walk in the blessing of the Lord. Now, translating all of that to fasting and prayer for us. See, fasting is voluntary suffering. It's voluntary. It's not God-enforced. It's not circumstance-enforced. How many of you ever walked through some suffering in your life and you didn't choose it and wouldn't choose it again? Fasting is voluntary serving. You you voluntarily place yourself in a position of dependency, suffering, difficulty, so that this process can work. This process of character development, this process of of humility, this process of depending on the Lord, this process of spiritual rejuvenation, you voluntarily put yourself in a position like that where you have to be dependent on God. And that's why we do it every year. Fasting helps us to be closer to God. In a sense, we get more of God, but also God gets more of you. You're devoting more time, more uh, moments with the Lord than you normally would. And things where you would normally invest in the flesh, you're stopping those and and you're investing into the Spirit. So he tells them all this. Moses said... He wanted to humble you, test you, help you learn some revelation about not living by bread alone. He needed to discipline you. Then look at verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Now he's, he's putting vision ahead of them. And he's saying, you're going through this, but I want you to keep your eyes on the prize. The reason you're going through all this is because you're going somewhere. And he said, whenever you're suffering here, I want you to look ahead to where you're going. It's going to help you get through what you're going through now. So he said, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valley and hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines, fig trees and pomegranates, land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. This was the plan of God. And here's what he said. Like a child that has no character, that you just gave a big inheritance to and said, here you go, and they never worked for it, they never stewarded anything, they never earned anything in their life, and you just give them a bunch of money. How many know that ruins a lot of people? He said, This is what I've got for you. This is my plan. This is where we're going. But there's a process first that you're going to go through that's going to help you be able to steward this and enjoy this properly. 
Amen. Man, I only got through the first scripture this morning. I had, it's already 1115. My goodness. Well, let's read one more. How about that? One more scripture. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. So, God, Moses tells the children of Israel about not living by bread alone, living by every word that comes out of mouth. Then we fast forward to Luke chapter 3, and Jesus is getting baptized, verse, uh, Luke 3, 21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. Man, what a moment. He's baptized. The heavens are open. The Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. I mean, this is like you don't get any more accolades. You don't get any more affirmation that God is with you and God is for you. I mean, the, the sky splits. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. The booming voice of God is heard. You are my beloved son in whom I am well Please, in other words, I love you. You are awesome. And then the very next chapter, Luke 4, 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, in other words, right out of that moment, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit, where? Into the wilderness. Straight out of this huge moment. Man, you would think, again, you would think, let's go straight into ministry. I mean, the whole world just, or everybody that was there at the Jordan anyway, they all just heard God speak. He's baptized. Jesus just goes straight into your ministry. I can tell you right now, for modern church builders, church planters, that would be the moment we'd have filmed the whole thing on phone, put it on Instagram. Look, God came out of the sky. He said he's with me. Y'all all all gather. We're going to have a a thousand persons at our first launch party, church service. You know, everybody come. Let's, Let's blow this ministry out of the water. Exact opposite. Biggest moment of his life, God speaks to him, sky splits, and the Bible says, first, before you get to your ministry, he said, straight to the wilderness for you. Is it coincidental that the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years and Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days? Is that how long it could have took them to get the lessons that they needed to get? Probably Jesus got in 40 days what it took them 40 years to get and still didn't get. But it was pointing forward to this moment. It was a a type, a shadow. It It was an example for us. Jesus goes into the wilderness, the Bible says, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't this interesting? What's the point of the wilderness? Jesus is perfect, right? Jesus... I don't even know if Jesus has any room for improvement. What is the the point? Well, you find out later in multiple passages in Scripture, the Bible says that Jesus, this is is Hebrews, I think I got it somewhere in here. Yeah, Hebrews 5.8. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. How about that? So Jesus learned obedience from what? From the things he suffered. So there's a connection. There's a connection here with suffering. Now I have seen suffering in a lot of people's life have the opposite effect. Uh, Suffering also can cause bitterness. Suffering can also cause people to turn their back on God. But that's the part where he said I'm revealing what's in here. When he said you're going through this and it's going to show us what's in here. He said, yeah, if, so, if, if what comes out of you from suffering is bitterness, complaining, 
jadedness? He said, well, that just revealed what was in here. If what comes out of you from suffering is obedience, joy, faith, praise and glory to God, then that also reveals what's in here. So in Jesus, he had to go into the wilderness as well. Verse 2, for 40 days, uh, Luke 4, 2, for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry, because he was still man. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, I love that Jesus already knew this lesson. It was already well hidden in his heart. He was well aware of this fact. And so as soon as the devil tried to tempt him, he said, no, you're not going to get me on that one. <laughs> he said, man doesn't live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen? Now look at verse 14 and we're going to be done. This is after the tempting and we're not going to read the whole story. But then verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He left the wilderness full of power, full of the Holy Spirit, ready to begin his ministry. Now, as you prepare for fasting and prayer, let me give you just a very few practical things here. Okay? Um, everybody needs to do what they're led to do. Okay? You don't need to try to do what, you know, you don't need to try to do what somebody else is doing. You need to pray and ask God what he needs, what he wants to do in your life. And it needs to involve something to do with food. It doesn't mean going without food completely. A lot of people will do, you know, grilled chicken, vegetables, fish, something like that. In other words, just cutting out fast food, cutting out sweets, uh, desserts, things like that, cutting out fried foods, you know, lot, lots of things you can do. Some people fast, uh, Without food for without food completely for one meal a day or maybe two or three days a week, lots of ways you can do it. That's not really what's important. Uh, what is important is figuring out what's going to create this process in you. And you know, there's been times that I've gone really, really strict in fasting, uh, and just didn't have that great a result. There's other times that I've gone not as strict and had much better results because I just wasn't focused on food and I was more focused on prayer because I wasn't starving to death the whole time. So you need to do, the purpose of it is not to be super disciplined. The purpose of it is to get close to God. The purpose of it is to cut out some of these things that we're feeding ourselves with and, and, and increase the spiritual side. Uh, but I'll just give you an example like of what our family will usually do. You know, we'll, we'll cut out video games and things like that for the kids. We cut out uh, television, you know, during the week, things like that. We have, we'll do more board games together, just have more conversation, do things together. Uh, and then certainly no, no sweets or desserts or Cokes, things like that for the kids. And, you know, Jen and I will adjust our diet. So lots of ways to do it. But the, the point is, I think you understand the point after, after us talking about it. And we're going to keep talking about it. But what I encourage you to do is, before January 2nd, just write down somewhere what you're going to do, what you're going to give up, you know, what you're going to cut out. It needs to be something that's going to create this process in you. It needs to be something that's going to hurt a little bit, something that's not easy. You know, and you're, you're giving it up to create this process, this process in you, and we'll all be doing it 
together. And the point of it is not to, you know, compare with one another. Well, I'm doing this and you're doing that. Not at all. The, the point is to do it for the Lord and to, you know, instigate this process to begin in our life that we've been talking about this morning. Amen. 